When you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and dying And you've taken all the potions you had left And you feel like you are doomed because the demon you set loose is coming after you And you can smell its breath Don't ever give up Hello, welcome to the Real Point Exchange. My name is Adam Thornsberg And today I'm joined by co-hosts Noah Carden and Chris Hammond. And today we're going to be discussing one of the first hurdles that a GM is going to encounter, and that is how to start a game. So starting a game is always the hardest part. You need to have a group first off, and if you're at this point in the game, chances are you already have it. If not, uh, there's several different outlets you could go for, Road 20 being one of them, and you could find someone or a group, jump in, and with some luck, somebody else is running the game, and you can actually kind of watch and learn. So finding a group is first and foremost one of the main things. And finding a group oftentimes kind of settles your other problem. For example, if your group is into more of a hack and slash or you know interested in the fantasy, high fantasy Dungeons and Dragons world, that tells you what you should be playing. If your group is more interested in maybe sci-fi, something like that, you have a lot of different options. You could go for Shadowrun, Eclipse Phase. It's just if you cater to your audience, that should be... Your first step. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You also have to think about sometimes it's good to uh, mess around with the formula a little bit. Like uh, I personally don't just do hack and slash or sci-fi. I try to uh, mix up genres and fuck around with the formula. But that may be something you don't want to start off in the beginning of the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're a first-time GM, you want to keep it simple. Especially if you're going for a if you have like a particular story you're trying to tell. With the, the, the game, you want to, I guess, just try and streamline it as much as you can and then sure. let your players kind of help build on it. Okay, so let's assume that we've spoken to the players. I don't know. Noah, what's your favorite type of game? Say sci-fi. And Adam, what's your, uh, favorite, genre, what, what's your favorite genre of sci-fi? Like horror sci-fi. Okay, so prostitute sci-fi. Gotcha. <laughs> so you're all... So the hook is that you're all um, uh, space opera hookers. So that's the hook. Now, Adam, what what exactly is a hook to you? What snares your te- snares your audience? What snares your uh, players into the game? The hook can be many different things. The hook could honestly be the fact you guys are getting together on a Friday night, drinking a few beers, and just bullshitting at a table. And occasionally, a game happens. Which is kind of like professional hockey, really. Just you're watching a fight and then a game breaks out. Or I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm, I would say topical, but I have no idea what's happened in hockey this year. I'm sure somebody's got the shit knocked out of them. So we shall continue. Okay. That, in, in one level, could be the hook. But the hook could also be the novelty of playing. We were talking about a first-time GM. It's It wouldn't be too far of a stretch of the imagination to say that our first-time GM is probably suckered in his uh, friends and now also has first-time players. So it could actually be just the act of sitting down and playing. These are kind of weak hooks because the novelty is going to fade. You're going to have to get more substance, and that's where it comes into the actual story. The hook could be that, whoa, what the fuck moment that you get. The hook doesn't have to happen at the immediate beginning of a game. Usually in the beginning of a game, you were wanting to do like introduction, some exposition, setting stages, so forth and so on. Give the players a little bit of time to stretch their legs and show off their character. And then you're going to hit them with the hook, which the hook, just the best way to put it is it's what motivates them to go from A to B. Yeah, definitely. 
if I can give an example for how I got into Shadowrun, the initial hook for playing Shadowrun, so from a player perspective, was just different from Dungeons and Dragons or Warhammer and stuff like that, where it's this cyberpunk sci-fi fantasy mix that's that's you don't really see in other systems or other games. So that was the hook there. And then one of our first games was this scenario called Food Fight, where all of our characters, they just end up at basically a 7-Eleven at like 1 o'clock in the morning. And we don't know each other or anything like that. But we're all there at the same time. And then some group of Shadowrunners comes in looking for this person. And it starts like, you know, this fight. So that was sort of, but you, you, when we started playing, we sort of got, each of us got like a little moment to kind of start, get into our character, get into the, the scenario. And then the hook was, why are these guys here? What are they looking for? Et cetera, et cetera. It's group storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you definitely got to give your players time to shine in that first game. Gives them a, an investment, I guess you could say. Why should they care that the princess is being kidnapped? Which I use a crappy fantasy one for an awesome sci-fi one. I think I probably just committed a sin somewhere. Oh, no, no. You just need to replace the name uh, Princess with Jupiter Jones and kidnapped with base hyper-capitalism? <laughs> Isn't Jupiter Jones an actual actress? No, it's Jupiter Ascending. You're thinking January Jones. Oh, okay. Damn, I would love to... I would love to see uh, Jupiter Ascending starring January Jones, because that movie was already a hot mess. <laughs> I, I I never watched it. I saw Channing Tatum looking real sexy on there, and I, I started to question my own sexuality. And I just, oh, no, I man. It. Watch it. It It is amazing. <laughs> He's like a elf werewolf fairy thing. Uh, my name for him is Dog Angel Boyfriend. <laughs> Dog Angel Boy. He really transforms. I mean, he's just not wearing. Okay, it's a fucking young adult novel. What am I? I'm sorry. Please move on. It, it's a young adult mo- novel starring the fu- directed by the fucking Wachowskis. It is the best fat, the best fanfic ever turned into a movie. Ah, uh, well, right, guys, I think we're, we've pretty much covered it. I'm going to go watch uh, Chan and Tate Yum uh, in his uh, great <laughs> acting debut. See, that's, that's my it's favorite a- Chad and Tatum role right wow. there. Is, and this is the end when he was a gimp. And oh, all he man. said was, hey, guys, how you doing? Okay, so my favorite Chad and Tatum quote is apparently he went on a uh, – he went on to um, a talk show. Oh. And uh, the lip sync was great. But he went on to a talk show. He's like, yeah, someday I just want to get all my like, like all my friends who are like photographers and dancers and like videographers, and we're just gonna set up a road trip through Africa and just see what flows from there. <laughs> just Gunfire. it's just it's just beautiful in its stupidity. It's like yeah, no man. Like uh, I, I've been uh, training in ballet for five years. Now let's just talk about Shaka Khan and uh, dance. All right, Noah, we've already There's went this far. God damn it, you're next. Oh God! I the only thing Channing Tatum related. There's two things. There's his freakout scene in like the first Twenty One Jump Street movie, and then there's some sketch where like he's a hundred story high Godzilla monster that's shooting lasers out of his crotch, <laughs> like sexiness lasers. <laughs> what other kind of lasers would they be, man? Oh, uh, of course. <laughs> Ah, good times. Well, 
<laughs> Wonder how I can edit and this. That's in how there. you run the scenario, guys. <laughs> yeah, and that's how you play a game. <sighs> um, I, I would suggest though, if you're, it, it really depends on the type of game you're trying to run. But the hook itself should, if it turns into a campaign, it should really portray the theme of the game. Like for example, in the game I'm, I just recently started running, the hook is very much s- superheroes who uh, gain power. And it's illegal. Like Adam, you're you're in the game. You're the, you're basically the focal point of this. You are you are basically breaking the law to get superpowers. And mm-hmm. it's about it's about crime, crime, and how that intersects with the superhero community. If the superheroes themselves are breaking the law, true. And um... so, for example, the hook in this specific one is that you have a bunch of experienced superheroes who are basically breaking into another person's base to give one guy superpowers. And it's very much a slow burn game where you start off with meeting up with people, making a deal and then going in to break into the space. So it plays up the themes of, you know, criminality and I guess derangement in some ways, like desperation. Okay. So when you did this and, um, Noah, please chime in with your own experiences on this as well. But Mm -hmm. when you were creating this, did you start at the beginning or at which part in the narrative and don't tell me too much because you'll spoil it for me and I'll, I'll know the ending mm-hmm. but at, where did you start with this concept well it's the second act of a campaign that's already going on but had stopped for about a year so it's basically just a new thing my idea was getting people uh newbie like basically interacting newbies with um experienced characters so the the initial hook for me was basically superhuman babysitting they're gonna follow you around until you get your thing until you get your your toy and you pay them for it yeah so that was like my initial concept and then the hook that kind of emerged from that was someone's got to be desperate to do this so what why is this person desperate and what what lengths will he go to how much money will he spend to uh get whatever's going get whatever's coming to him i I definitely got that covered with my character Yeah, no, you, you did a good job. Play, <laughs> played into the themes without me telling you. So, seems like as far as the way our conversation keeps bouncing around, so far we've mentioned just picking a genre. We've also mentioned uh, the narrative hook that you need to give, and we've kind of touched on introduction. But let's, go, let's backtrack to one particular concept that it's not going to be any fun for us as a GM if we don't have a captive audience. We need player buy-in mm-hmm. let's talk about character creation and uh, the options that you have and perhaps some of the best ways that one can do it i mean i guess the most the easiest one to start off with would probably be um pre-gens now no i've used pre-gens and mm-hmm. i know you've used them as well but uh-huh. you use them in a different capacity particularly i'm referring to uh, gen con what do you see what do you think are the advantages and possibly disadvantages to um, using pre-gens and to that degree uh, is it do you think it's better to start out if everybody is new start out with pre-gens or should we go ahead and create them up well um with my my gen con game I initially planned to have pre-gens, but some stuff came up where I was actually able to get my hands on like a little easy character creator packet for my, my running of Convergence, okay. um, the Delta Green scenario, which in that aspect, when you have like an actual item to give your players that kind of gives the most bare-bones versions of the rules for what they're going to be playing, that can actually be really helpful. 
and it goes through character creation like step by step. So it's like do this, then do this, then do this. And basically when I handed those packets out to the players, I said, you're going to be going for this type of character and then you get a little bit of variation between each of your each of your characters. So you're not all literally the same, but you're all going to be kind of within the same wheelhouse with minor variations. So that worked pretty well for that. But then I've also done things like with um, the Eclipse Phase game I've run, where I basically just had my players roll a D10, and then I gave them a, a pre-gen out of that. I just used the, um, the pre-gens that are in the, the different Eclipse Phase core books, and I just handed them those character sheets. Any disadvantages to using pre-gens? The one thing I've really noticed with pre-gens, especially if it's a new player to the system, is that if they pick a pre-gen without really knowing like what the character is like, like even if you, as the, the GM, if you know how that character is supposed to act and how they play and things like that, but you don't necessarily express that properly or your player like thinks that they like that, but when they actually get into it, they don't like that can be kind of an issue where basically they've picked a character and they're effectively stuck with it for the scenario and it puts a a bad taste in their mouth for the game. That that's, that's like the only real downside I've seen to pre-gens. I've also seen uh, personally, I've also seen that uh, in pre-gens people don't really invest in them. That's true too. They're one and done, basically. Yeah. That's, <laughs> nothing is illustrated more than uh, your character you, that you originally played in Red Markets. And since we're wanting to continue the campaign, you've decided to roll up your own. Which is yeah, no. totally cool. I mean, that shows the success of the game, really. Mm-hmm. And what you were discussing there a moment ago, Noah, I'm assuming it was somebody who was looking for more of a combat monster and picked a uh, lesser astute character class possibly um well just with the way i had built the scenario there was certain like you need a certain amount of tactical and a certain amount of combat skills and having like too much of one and not enough the other can kind of mess that scenario up and things like that um and i've also been i've also been on the player side been in games where a fellow player has gotten a character that they're not really sure how to play like, they see it, they think it's really cool sounding, but they don't really know how to get into it. And the GM can try and explain it, but they still don't quite grasp it. So, that, so they feel, like, handicapped? Yeah, basically. Like, I know one character, one player, got the the async bounty hunter, the ego hunter. And, like, they liked how it looked and everything like that, but they really weren't sure how to, like, use the... The async powers and and things like that. So asyncs are pretty tricky too. Yeah, no, and they are like, but just the the concept of like you know being a psychic bounty hunter sounds really cool, but then in play, you're not really sure how to how to use it and what certain things can mean. Especially especially with pregens, depending on the system. Um, if you look at like a a pregen eclipse phase character, it's just a big list of skills with numbers and stuff like that and you get like a little bit of a description but you don't really understand what everything means like you'll have a list of like items and powers and stuff like that you can use but no real description of what that actually means so you have to go dig through the book 
a pre-gen that kind of gives you a breakdown of what some of that stuff means, even just like a one-line description, like, oh, this does this ability, this lets you read a mind, this lets you, you know, jump over tall buildings, et cetera, et cetera, can help make that a better experience for a player. Now, Chris, I know that you like playing things off the cuff a bit more, so I think... What? No. What? Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit, but... (laughs) Here's the deal. Like, so if we have, uh, let's say we're not going with pre-gens. Have you ever sat down with a group and everybody created the characters at the same time? Or has the groups you've been working with mainly character creation happens in a bubble? I usually try to get people to create characters at the same time, or at least talk about their concepts before they create them. But um, a lot of the time it ends up in the people doing it on their own and then talking about their ideas. It kind of works both ways. Like I, I do sincerely prefer if everyone just comes together. It's like, hey, I want to, I want to be the smart guy. I want to be the strong guy, or I want to be the veterinarian who has shape shifting powers for some fucking reason. Um, Now, Um, how much of this is? Do you think, at least, is because a lot of your games seem to be online as opposed to in person? I suspect it has a lot to do with it being online. Like. If I could get a group together in person, it's a little easier. I've actually done that a few times where mm-hmm. I'll have friends and like they're interested in the game. I'm like, okay, guys, here's the deal. We're going to come up with characters in the next 20 minutes. Good point, Noah. Yeah. The only time I've ever worked with a group face-to-face, I've, everything I played online, it was pretty much, you know, you get a little bit of heads up. Like, okay, I'm playing a federal agent. Okay, well, I'll be a um, librarian. Or, you know, something of that sort there. But yeah, face-to-face interaction. And I guess it goes back to what you were saying, too, about uh, being able to answer questions. Yeah. Oh, uh, quick story. Um, A while back, a mutual friend of my wife and uh, someone else decided to run a 5th edition D&D game. And it took about five months to start running. And I like I came up with a few character concepts beforehand, and I even said to the guy, hey, let's do this in person before I do anything else. And he decided not to. So we ended up with like me playing a fucking stoner wizard, my wife playing my bodyguard, and somebody who wanted to create their own character class, who was some sort of weird werewolf furry assassin? <laughs> Never played the game before in their lives. Like, it's like, nope, Dungeons and Dragons. Let's do this. I want to be a ghost man. (laughs) What the fuck is a ghost man? Is it a ghost or a man? Yes. I haven't touched the D&D rulebook. Is there anything that would facilitate that? No. Especially not 5th edition, because it just fucking came out. Yeah. I think that might be a little bit about creating character class or cross-classing and the DM guide, but definitely not in the player's guide. Yeah, no, I've, I've been playing fucking role-playing games for ten years, and even I'm like, hey, I wouldn't do this, and I yeah. know how to fucking make these things. Uh, okay. <laughs> I have not quite the same experience with a, a Pathfinder, a local Pathfinder group that I think has just kind of imploded. They, they haven't talked to me in, like, months, so whatever. But I went over, and everybody was making characters and stuff like that, and I basically was like, alright, well, what is everybody else playing? And they had, like, zero fighters. So I was like, alright, I'm just gonna be a, a half-orc fighter and make this real, real easy. <laughs> I have two hands, and they're both full of weapons. So. <laughs> now, 
I've got to ask you this, man, because this is you're, you're getting. You're, I have a prediction. Mm-hmm. Okay, when this person introduced their character, did that introduction really span the course of two hours? Did they? Oh yeah, this is my character. They tell you five minutes about it, and then they take I don't know the middle of an action and go. No, I am wearing chainmail and blah blah blah. Did they? Did that character uh, introduction kind of just keep moving on and on and on and interrupting the flow? My name is Misanthropic of Silver Eyes, and I have <laughs> silver eyes and demon wings. <laughs> no, 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 my <laughs> and long dark hair. Hmm, oh, and I am totally wearing goth outfit, and I love my chemical romance. I should have got a plus two on my self check because my hair is black as the night. And black as my soul. Seriously though, did they actually like? Was that one of those type of players, or am I just reading this person poorly? This was the kind of person who was obsessed with playing a furry, and they like I. I even tried to help them. Oh god! Yeah, I am. I am reminded of a friend of mine's experiences with trying to run or play in some online Eclipse Games games. My friend Richard, which Adam kind of knows, yeah. Basically, he tried to play in an Eclipse Phase game, and he was just going to be like a a firewall-like ego hunter. But the people he was trying to play with, one of them had to have like a gene-spliced like specialty morph that gave him lion-like features. Ooh. And yeah, no, it was not. Yeah. <sighs> That's a lot of Freud right there, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, we the the shit he could tell you about some terrible ass games. I am literally playing the game right now with a sexy plain woman Gajinka. Super Jack, plain. Yeah, Jack the Ripper possessing an ex cop, which is okay, and a man who is forced to dress like a woman because superpowers. Like it's like Two fetishes and an actual character concept. Now, this isn't the game I'm in, or like, do, no, have I not, not learned this yet? Oh yeah, Adam, I've been meaning to tell you. <laughs> Powers involve a ball gag. So, which superpower would you prefer? Um, being empowered by a ball gag or being a cuck, pure cuckold? <laughs> God, <laughs> where did this podcast go? I really don't think there's anything <laughs> empowering about the ball gag. I really think it's 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 entire function, which I don't know. I haven't been into too many dungeons, but <laughs> ah, I digress. But uh, <laughs> there there's a scenario you yeah. you go dungeon crawling. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait! Oh no no! This is the wrong kind of dungeon. <laughs> this is the kind of dungeon with a safe word. <laughs> <laughs> You should give your players an opportunity, which we've talked about, but you should give your players an opportunity to show you, not just tell you about their character, to show you. You can sit there, like, the players can sit there and tell you what they're wearing or whatnot, or they could describe their character walking into the tavern. Yeah, I mean, you may have noticed in the, the game I ran, like the first session, it was, I didn't even ask you what your character was like. I just said, so you, he's here, what does he do? How does he act? Mm-hmm. Which totally, I mean, it, it worked. It gave me an opportunity to just really stretch and feel my way out. So when you're running that first game, which we'll go into the, the types of games that you could be running and thinking about and so forth in a moment, but when you're running that first game, don't be discouraged if this hook that I mentioned beforehand 
doesn't come till who knows, perhaps the end of the session. Your game, which there are games out there that begin in media rest and you're almost slapped with plot as soon as the game begins, but by far and large, you're really giving them a chance. You're you're going to give your characters a chance to grow. Which you were talking about creating your um, characters' life. There's also a means for GMs to create the story as it goes too. Have, have any of you guys t- have taken that approach? The more sandbox, less, and I hate using this word, uh, railroady method of letting the story develop around the characters. Actually, yeah, no, that's usually how I do things. I don't. I when I run a game, I don't really focus on creating a plot, but a bunch of competing ideas that beat against each other until one comes out. Like I have themes in mind, and usually con- contrary themes. Like if it's Right now I have superheroes on the mind. The idea is upholding the law versus breaking the law. If you're in a system where the very the very idea of being a superhero is illegal, how do you deal with those two conflicting ideas? How much does player interaction change that scope as the game goes on? Oh, it's almost entirely driven by the players because I give them points to uphold themes, but the themes themselves are underpinned by whatever story concepts I throw at the players and they pick. You already have a world created and envisioned, and then you let the variables loose into this world and see what happens. Yeah, that's that's a better way of putting it. It's the idea of a world in an unstable equilibrium, and the players show up and they mess with that equilibrium. So the world itself is, in some ways, a it's an illusion because it's just a thing for your these characters to fuck around in. Hmm. So, yeah. Awesome. Noah, do you um, have anything to add to that? I haven't really had any at-length campaign so far. Like, I think the longest thing I've run has been No Soul. But that was a, a playtest, and that's a, a from-the-book campaign as opposed to something original. Yeah. From, as from an original standpoint, I've I've had a couple of like one shot kind of scenarios or one or two like session things that the players kind of get a little bit of free range. Like I have like an, an end goal in mind for them to get to and stuff like that. But getting there is a little free flow. The a Ghostface game I always mention and I eventually need to run for you guys is basically they wake up. They don't know where they're at. They're all but amnesiac, and they have to figure out what's where they are, what's going on, and how to escape. And they have this almost effectively free range of this facility that they can go through and try and figure a way out. I'm working on a Night's Black Agents campaign that hopefully, once I kind of get it into enough of a, a, a semblance of an actual campaign, there's going to be enough... I leave enough holes and can work on my feet enough for the players to, to kind of help shape it as it goes. Oh, I love the conspiracy pyramid. That must be about the best feature, I think, of Knights Black Agents. So for those for those of you out, out of the know on this, and this is probably, if I were going to guess, how, how Noah is kind of working with this as he develops it. At the top of the pyramid, that's the big bad, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as it keeps going down, there's more and more nodes. And all these nodes, like say you maybe got six at the bottom. Players could pick one of six different areas and it's always going to funnel up to something else that's somehow connected mm-hmm. to the end of this very big bag. Yeah, it's, 
it all of the nodes they start out wide at the bottom they go up and that's different levels of like importance and things like that and one node is always going to lead to another node that always eventually leads upwards to the next tier of nodes and they all just kind of like you said they all funnel upward to the final confrontation with the big bad that's usually a vampire but not always so we've been kind of dancing around this just a tad bit chris Yo. what kind of so we talked about character creation we talked about the hook we've talked about really the development of scenarios but what kind of headings can we develop under so to speak what what are our options or, or the scale that a first-time gm could be looking at here so yeah there are I would say there are about three different things you can look at when you're running a game for the first time. There's the one-shot, there's the mini-campaign, and then there's the full-on campaign. So a one-shot is just that. It's a one-and-done game. Like, you come up with character ideas. It's very much plot-oriented. So if I was going to run a one-shot based on prostitutes in the cyber future, you uh, all the characters would be associated with certain tropes. They would be... You'd have the hooker with the heart of gold. You'd have the uh, the madame, the uh, the uh, returning customer, that sort of thing. And they would all fit into very specific constraints. Once they're once they are basic, once they've basically fulfilled their constraint in the plot, the game is over. Like if this was a horror game, it would be someone goes looking for a good time. The hooker with the heart of gold is tries to uh, improve someone's life, and then you'd all die. Or if it's, or if it's like a D and D style action adventure game, everyone would come together and protect their uh, best little whorehouse in Texas, <laughs> and the plot is over. Either way, like they're, it's a very constrained idea. A mini campaign is a little more out there. It's I, when I when I think of mini campaign, I think of like four or five games that all fit a specific theme which the GM comes up with and usually has some sort of plot in mind. So if this is the best little whorehouse in Texas story, it's um, they're trying to uh, beat out the... Uh, their whorehouse is about to be taken over by um, mean old land developer, so they have to uh, create some sort of bikini car wash or something to uh, save their land <laughs> and raise a bunch of money. And of course the land developer does have a a twirly little mustache as well. I mean, he has to. Oh, of course, and at some point he is going to be thrown into a pool, and it's going to be very embarrassing. And what about the uh, larger scale here with the uh, campaign itself? Okay, then we get we get Breaking Bad. You come up you come up with a genre concept. So if it's maybe someone in this game is trying to build an empire. Okay. So the theme the theme of the game would be empire. Every single character has to touch with the genre and the theme. So the genre itself is I guess 1980s TNA comedy. <laughs> like they they would all have to have some sort of concept which is bikini girl. <laughs> <laughs> there is a game like that. We are all aware of that. What was it called, Noah? Oh shit, I forget. Chris, I apologize. Oh, I realized uh, I was a um, dick. No, no, you're right. Oh, God damn it! Not oh, is it oh biker babes? Or... It was those like macho women with guns. Yeah. yeah, macho women with guns. That's terrible, but it it fits with this horrible, <laughs> horrible example. But, so even if we're dealing with macho uh, macho women with guns, which is a uh, like a field day yeah. for someone to examine there, the larger scale is um, the theme. Would why am I a macho woman with a gun and? Okay. 
then you need the genre problem. Why am why am I as a macho woman with a gun invested in trying to build this empire of best little whorehouses in Texas? So is this something also that from start to finish, like a GM could actually have this big picture of where it's going? And much like we, when we were talking about nice black agents, everything that the players do inevitably is drawing them closer to this final revelation confrontation type of thing. Yes, but I would also suggest for a full campaign like this, you have a few different ideas of where the revelation leads. So the revelation could actually be before the climax and actually be one of the um, driving forces that lead our characters forward to whatever is at the end? Yep. Okay. How about you, know What's your take? What's a good uh, campaign description write-up? And as opposed to um, 1980s uh, TNA movies, I suggest you use 70s black exploitation films. Uh, so are we talking like a mini campaign or a full campaign? Let's, let's go for the full one. The mini one and the full are pretty much share, share a lot of the same characteristics, I would assume. Just one of them has a little more leg room and larger scope. Okay, so if we are going to use 70s black exploitation, we could actually do like a, a black dynamite setup. I was hoping for Pootie Tang, but please keep going. Or it's basically, you know, you have your your heroes of the community who are trying to find the the source of the the drugs that are coming into the community. So they go through, they do like the the conspiracy sort of setup where you're you're working your way up through the conspiracy through local dealers to their distributors and from their distributors on up to probably if we're like I said fusing black exploitation probably some sort of local government and then federal government like level stuff some sort of white guy yes obviously some sort of white guy but a very a square white guy though yes extremely square like richard dixon ronald reagan cia selling we're going to the top inner communities kind of setup so okay we also have Kind of going with the one shot is more or less a hybrid of the two. You also just have episodic types of campaigns, which are really mm-hmm. no more than just a, a small one shot that's linked with some kind of vignette to another one shot that just kind of keeps going yeah. on and on. You you can do a um, an episodic campaign. You can actually do something kind of like uh, like the anime Cowboy Bebop, yeah, where it's mostly episodic but there's like an underlying like overarching story that involves like maybe one or two of your your core players and their characters that um that you get little glimpses of here and there and you'll get like a session where that comes really to the forefront and then once that like that problem is dealt with it goes back to the more episodic stuff until it brings back up until you get to a a good ending point for the the campaign Sounds like Mass of Nihilith or Hope Tip to me. True. A sort of Monster a... of the Week scenario sort of thing. Have... Yeah, yeah. Like, like your standard episodic things would be like a, a Monster of the Week or, you know, a Problem of the Week, et cetera, et cetera. But there's like little bits in here that link together to form an overarching story. Like you may find like you may find bits of evidence that link this particular issue back to like one of your character's past that's coming up, you know, that's rearing its ugly head kind of thing. Oh no, Senpai, you voted Trump? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know I'm gonna lose some cred here, Noah. Chris already knows this. I've never seen Cowboy Bebop. Oh god. Dead to me. Shameful. <laughs> You I know, I'm, this podcast right now. 
I can actually hear my name being deleted off Skype as we oh. speak. But it's on a to-do list. Like, I've, I am on doing that, and I've always meant, I'll, meant to read Toni Morrison's Beloved. Those are two of my things that I, I, I'm going to do before I die. I have I have three, three different full disc sets of Cowboy Bebop. One's, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Noah. One's DVD, and then the other two are Blu-ray, and they're both special edition Blu-rays. One one is actually set up like a um a vinyl album box. So Noah, I have to ask. Uh huh. Who is your waifu pillow? <laughs> I don't have a waifu pillow. Unfortunately, I refuse. I refuse to believe it. Uh, if I if I ever got one, I would have to get the bayonetta one because it's. Oh my god! You've actually thought of it. <laughs> thought about it. The best part about that pillow is the fact that some company went to the director of that game and it's like, here, this is what we want to do for a pillow. And he's like, no, no, no. This is how you do a body pillow. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that guy, it was his waifu. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm so excited. Bayonetta's out on Smash, finally. <laughs> yes. I'm willing to spend the money for it, but wait, I'm waiting for my tax return. <laughs> I'm waiting for the, the Amiibo. So I can have a, a Bayonetta figure that isn't like eighty goddamn dollars. <laughs> also, grossly oversexualized, like nah, even yeah. more so than she already is. Listen, I have no problem with. Never mind. <laughs> <sighs> Do you have a Bayonetta one and two on the Wii U? I don't actually have Bayonetta two. I have. It's out of print now, so it's kind of hard to find. They're doing a standalone print of two. Yeah, but I, I want the, one two. You know, I got the one for PlayStation three. That's about. That's why I just had Bayonetta one, so I guess I'm a noob. I have it for 360. It's cool, man. No, you, I do. You wanna... have like the worst version of Bayonetta one. You really do? <laughs> no. Yeah, the the PS3 port was really really bad. Ah, man. Ah, well, let me let me tell you this. Since we're going down this Primrose path, and then we'll we'll go ahead and uh, got a few other points, and then I got a little game for you guys. So here's the deal. I like strategy role playing games like mm-hmm. real-time strategy. So I bought this. The only edition they sold of this game was the special edition. But I got Legends of the Argorist or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like Record of the Argorist War. So I purchased that because, I mean, it was anime. I, I dig anime. I thought, well, this would be cool. It comes with a mouse pad. Have you seen this mouse pad? <laughs> this mouse pad, it, it provides you, like, the game, which was for a console, came with a mouse pad. That provided you with one of the characters, like on a mouse pad, but you get a little more wrist support when you rest <laughs> your hand on her jugs or breasts or however. Oh right my, what? So, so I have, and it's somewhere in the house. I'll have to find it. I can take a picture to prove it. But like, so I have a mouse pad that has like a pair of breasts, like you rest your wrist on, and it's really comfortable. Like, God, it's, is it comfortable? But it is a conversation piece, and some of those conversations you don't want to have with, say, your father-in-law. So you have carpal tunnel breasts. <laughs> yes, and, I mean, they, they reduce, like, stress and all that, but I don't, have a, uh, I don't have a pillow, but I have a mouse pad. I do own this. How are you married with children? What? She thought it was funny. I didn't buy it for that, like... <laughs> Noah, you're single, right? Noah, kind I, of. Noah, I have thank this. Thing. I have oh, this. thank God. Noah, uh huh. I also have that. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> For those of you at home, 
there is a game which is a great game, and I really it's actually really fun. It. And it's it's got a unique little storyline, and it's tons of fun. Called I'm Catherine. Actually, I'm I'm kind of interested in the game, honestly. It's it's, it's actually pretty fun. It's, yeah. it's not over sexualized. You just get a, a pair of boxer shorts with it, and a art book. And it's kind of weird. It comes with a regular size pillowcase. Yeah. I don't even know what mine is. A body pillow pillowcase. <laughs> it was an awesome game. Check it out. Also, those are like the smallest pair of like boxer shorts I've ever seen. Yeah, they're they're constrictive and restraining. I just... Oh, my God. So. I do not up. want to hear about the things you guys wrap around your junk. <laughs> You're asking me how I had kids. I'm telling no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you have kids because of Catherine Boxer pillows? <laughs> You've been married so No, they years. have no hole in the front, which yeah. is part of the problem. They're more like short shorts. Oh, oh that's terrible. Just, that's just that's just, just a poor design. It just keeps getting worse. We'll stop. <laughs> oh God. Alright. So for the conspiracy that I'm working on. Part of it, like, it's not the top, it's, like, kind of towards the middle, but basically one of the routes that you can go is basically, we gotta go beat the shit out of Martin Shrekley. You know, like you do. That's, yeah. That's my Friday night. Yeah, that's that's basically part of, it has to do with how I'm structuring my vampires and stuff like that, but you go, you can go after him, and then from there it leads to another thing, and then another thing, and then eventually you get up to the top, but that's... That's the, the the initial carrot that you get, and then from there you find out, oh wait, it's actually like this, and then above that there's this kind of thing. Also leaves for a great ending is whenever you take care of the final confrontation, you could even leave them with a, well did I? Kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And, and kudos for you for uh, your muse being that soulless, heartless motherfucker. Uh, it's, uh, all it is is just I want to see somebody punch his face in, so I'm going to give my players that chance. <laughs> that is a beautiful concept, sir. Like whenever, <laughs> when we... Plus, the, the whole idea gave me the idea for my vampires, so. <laughs> Wait, your vampires are fucking financial investor douchebags? No. There's... Can I sign up for this game? Actually, wait, no. They kind of are. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm working can, on it. Can I be a Can I be a straight up communist? Because I'm into this. Uh, sure, if you want to be former Soviet bloc, you can do that. Oh, who said former? In my mind, the Soviet Union never fell. <laughs> okay, you can't be Putin himself, right? Okay, Putin himself is not actually Soviet. I'm I'm thinking more along the lines of Gorbachev. Got that big red mark on your forehead. Yep. So to recap, main thing, just what's everybody into? Right. And that's that's just something that talking to your players, like presenting them with like, hey, I want to, you know, let's try doing a, a role-playing game. And like, what kind of stuff do you guys want to try and do? And you as the GM, you may have something kind of in mind for what you want to do. But talk it over to your players. Kind of try and meet in the middle. Next off will be, um, they all lead to it, is deciding what everybody wants and then working with it. So you may be working with a particular system. You may be working with a particular topic or subject such as space exploration. Next off, Chris, I think, I guess logically speaking, it would be, what, scenarios possibly and the, the campaign frame? I would say the hook. Like, the the thing that draws the characters in. Okay. So, I can see how that would be kind of reciprocal because you may start off in a small scale, like a one-shot scenario. Everything kind of metamorphoses into something larger as you go. So, once we uh, have a hook and that dictates 
the scale in which we're going to be working on. And you've just got the meat and potatoes of um, fleshing out the world, allowing the players to flesh out their characters both on paper and in their mind, and then just let it go. It's It can be intimidating when you first run your own game. And there's going to be stuff that you've created that you love that uh, definitely if you're doing more of an open world that players are going to totally miss. Kill your darlings. Yeah. Doesn't matter. So, yeah, you sometimes you got to sacrifice that for their greater enjoyment. <laughs> Best of luck with you. It's it's one of these things that uh, you will definitely get better with it, with time. And also, it's a learning experience. And the next time you sit down and do it, it'll be that much better. Any Anything else, guys, before we move on to Super Happy Fun Game that's going to last just a minute? Uh, no, I think, I think we've pretty much covered it. I think we got it. Just think about how you want a game, basically. Yep. And and don't be afraid to fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> Definitely. Also, don't be afraid to fuck up because you're gonna fuck up something. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Real bad. So having a friendly environment, friends that you're playing with, more forgiving than say you showed up to Gen Con and decided to run your first game. Uh, that's that really depends on your friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, mine mine could be super harsh. <laughs> So, guys, here's this game. I like to call it You All Meet in an Inn. What I've done is I've pulled up the TV Tropes page for tabletop games. So these are some familiar, often overused, which I had mixed feelings about that, but these are some often used tropes in uh, certain genres of games. So, or actually, let's say systems. So let's, let's start off with this. So what I'm going to do... And I'm I'm just sticking with the ones that I know because, you know, <laughs> I know me. So I'm just going to pick the ones that I feel like we would all know. And uh, let's see what you think. So is everybody ready? Got your thinking caps on? So what are we what are we trying to figure out here? What uh, what role playing game am I mentioning here? Okay. So we start you off real easy. You get a call from a man calling himself Mister Johnson. Shadow Run, yeah, clearly, definitely Shadow Run. Which uh, one of the things we're taught? One of these, uh, one of the names for this particular trope is called lampshade. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, Shadow Run. That was the go-to. Definitely, that would be one of the ones for more of a one-shot, wouldn't it, Noah? Uh, well, your your Mister Johnson is the the go-between between the guy that's actually giving you the job and your Shadow Runners, i.e., the players. So they're the the no name blank face that gives you the job. They are plot. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're yeah they're the the faceless agent that gives you they your give, your mission kind of thing. Here is your MacGuffin. Run with it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. All right, let's stick with the namesake of the game. So, and that is, you all meet in an inn. What game or games could this possibly be? D and D, Pathfinder, Dungeon Worlds, um, any Jags, any fantasy game, really. Ooh, well, let me give you a variation of that. You all okay. meet in a nightclub. World of Darkness, probably vampire. <laughs> yeah, uh, you could do that in Shadowrun. We've met several times in in futuristic nightclubs. Okay, no, with Shadowrun, you all meet in a rave. <laughs> no, that's true too. Yep. Yeah. Let me let me read this following quote from Shadowrun. 
You All Meet in an Inn has also played straight in Shadowrun since Johnson's often treasures their anonymity. Places like bars, taverns, restaurants, and nightclubs are often where team, runner teams will meet up. Oh, yes. So, so everybody wins. Yep. Tacky. Okay. But, yeah, especially World of Darkness. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it's not so much you all meet in it, it's like you all run an inn, and in this case, a nightclub. All right, here's the next one. It's going to be real hard. It actually sounds like something one of you just told me a moment ago. You all wake up in a receiving facility. In a receiving facility? Receiving. Oh, (laughs) receiving facility. Really? I mean, do we we have to guess? (laughs) Yeah. Well, for, for those at home. Eclipse space? Yeah. Um, I guess there are some other transhuman <laughs> space opera style games. Yeah, there's the furry one. Yeah. yeah. You thought I said receiving facility? Like, yeah. Like, no, no. It's, it's not like what you thought you said. That's what you said. It's the accent. And the, uh, <laughs> all right, man. I'm, I, I'm not making this up. I just got to be straight up with you. Speaking of a receiving facility, I I, uh, I got altered carbon. Oh, my God. As really? the audio audiobook the other day. It was like five bucks on Audible. They're having a sale. Is that the the anthology? That's the first book of the, the Takeshi Kovacs. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's it's one of like the big influences on Eclipse Phase. And All right. So I have one we can add here. Y'all meet in a post office. <laughs> it's the FedEx game. No, wait, no. <laughs> I'm thinking of the receiving facility. <laughs> <laughs> I Post office? Uh, it's a fiasco? Bam! <laughs> I was right? Awesome. Alright, how about this? I'm running out of them because the, like, the list is almost gone. You are, you're all in the Nexus. It's nighttime. So you all had to sit at a table together. Nexus? Nexus? I think it's Exalted. I don't know anything about Exalted. Exalted's like anime fantasy. Yeah, I couldn't oh. get into Exalted. That's... That's too much like 13-year-old wanting to punch a tiger shark. I, I've i wanted to try Exalted for a really long time just because I've had some like pretty baffling ideas. And if you ever want to know like what makes me want to play Exalted, you should read the 1D4chan page on it because the descriptions they give for like the different like powers and like classes and stuff like that is amazing. There's one class that basically they use martial arts, and when they punch somebody, they like turn them into ducks. Like it just does all sorts of weird ass oh shit. My God. That does sound pretty awesome. No, not for me. I, I like I like my games about criminals. That's actually I'm looking through this. My game ends real right here. Sorry guys, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Everything else is more narrative and less. Um, it's straightforward to that, but they, they had Warhammer, but it pretty much is everybody meets at the end. Mm-hmm. And I saw Traveler and my eyes immediately went over it, so like, <laughs> I, I, I can't read anything with Traveler in front of it. Y'all meet in a boring economic situation. <laughs> you all meet in a high school. <laughs> Buffy? Monster of the Week? There is a, a, a Buffy knockoff RPG. Yeah, I've looked into it. It's terrible. Wait, wait! You all meet in an assassin who is secretly ass- ass- obsessed with uh, samurai mythology. Ghost dog. <laughs> <laughs> 
So if there isn't anything further to add, I guess uh, we'll be wrapping up another episode of Role Playing Exchange. Again, I'm your host, Adam, joined by... I'm Noah. And I'm Chris. And uh, thank you for your time, and good luck with your gaming. Also, a special thanks to Ghost Mice for allowing us to use their song Critical Hit as our intro and outro of the podcast. Not all fights are won by skill, some are won by luck. Don't ever give in. You've got to keep on trying till you lose or you win. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Wait with hope for the big 2-0. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it roll, let it go.